You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz, and along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. And oh my gosh, so much news swirling around. I thought I'd get a break after such a crazy long week um, with the the cabinet picks. I know everyone's excited. Uh, look, you know, lots of lots of good news here, especially on the national security front. Jeff Sessions is attorney general. You can't get better than that. Mike Pompeo, a CIA director, he's a, a friend of mine. Um, I've known him since he's come into Congress in 2011. Couldn't pick a better guy for that. A lot of good news. Unpleasantly surprised, cautiously optimistic. Um, but as we spoke about last time, there's a lot more going on here. And, you know, I encourage everyone to go to conservativereview.com, go to my webpage. You're going to see reams of information, post election content on, you know, where we need to be going forward on the judiciary, executive branch, Congress, all the stuff going on in Congress. Uh, there's a lot of garbage going on in there. All the same failed leaders were reelected. And, uh, you know, sign up for CRTV. I'm telling you, I was just uh, taping stuff with Michelle Malkin. You're going to love it. Um, 89 bucks a year. Michelle Malkin, Mark Stein, Mark Levin, uh, Steve Crowder. Let's put the porn channel, a.k.a. Fox News, out of business here. And uh, go, go l- 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 let's swing for the fences here, guys. This is a new era. Um, there's a lot of good potential, lots of stuff to do but a lot of potential pitfalls. And one of the things we talked about last time was not repeating the same mistakes of past administrations. When Republicans get into power, we only think about the here and now. We only think about the federal government. We think we could solve everything. And we don't look for, A, how to fix the systemic structural problems, that the states have no power, um, that, let's face it, we're not going to solve these fiscal issues the way you know things are going now. I, I, I do think if we play our cards right, we could get a lot of good stuff on national security and immigration out of uh, this administration, especially based on the personnel I'm seeing come in. And that is the role of the federal government, and it can only be dealt with at a federal level. But I'm warning you, when it comes to fiscal issues, I mean, it's it's a dumpster fire. It's still pretty bad. We're going to have a lot of battles on on hand. I'm going to have a piece coming out on full repeal of Obamacare. That's going to be a big struggle with both the rhinos and Obama and, and, and Trump. And and finally, I'm just warning you, all these same jerks were reelected. The same leadership is around there. You have the same rhinos. If you think you're going to get stuff done at a federal level to roll back the size of government, it's just not going to happen. I mean, even, even if you had a good political party, it would be tough. And this is where the rainy day reforms come in. What I call the rainy day reforms, the reforms that we need in place, even when we're not in power, when the Democrats are in power. But why should be why should we be one election away from losing our liberty, our constitution? This is our constitution. We're entitled to it. This should not be contingent on winning an election. How do we create that permanent firewall? I've always been a supporter of the Convention of the States using Article 5, as Mark Levin, our commander-in-chief, has so passionately advocated uh, to propose constitutional amendments to save the Constitution. We know what the Constitution means, but it is what it is. I mean, it's been overrun. 
the judicial branch and executive branch have been just grown government out of control, taking away rights, um, imposing social transformation without representation. States do not exist. We need to return to self-governance through getting 34 states to propose a convention of the states on certain subject matter. Then you get 38 states to agree to specific amendments. That is how we make an end run around the federal dumpster fire, which we, we have to do. And as I noted in my post this week, I'm going to put up in our show notes, the opportunity electorally is there more than ever because we got 33 states with both houses, both chambers of the legislature. Now, like I said, I've always been a fan of it, but it wasn't until I got in touch with Mark Meckler, this guy helps run the Convention of the States Project, that I fully understood just how big of a movement, over 2 million people they have, and how much progress they have already made. And I, I have a real treat for you today. With no further ado, I want to bring in Mark Meckler to answer all of our questions about what a Convention of the States looks like, what's the opportunity, why it needs to be done. Hey, Mark, you there on the line? I am. Great to be with you, Daniel. Awesome. So, yeah, Mark, I mean, just for our audience, I mean, Mark Meckler, if you haven't heard of him by now, he is a grassroots organizer extraordinaire. I mean, what what Obama said he was a community organizer. This is, <laughs> hey, Mark, you're, you're, you're a street agitator. I'm in good company. Yep. You know, co-founder of Tea, Patri Tea Party Patriots. Um, now uh, you run your own organization, is that uh, you're on the national leadership of the Convention of the States, the president of the Citizens for Self-Governance. I know there's so much to cover in 20, 25 minutes here, but if you, we could start off just briefly explaining mechanically what does it look like to proceed towards the Convention of the States? What does it take? And if you could incorporate in, what, in, in your answer the progress you've already made. Sure. So briefly, here's what it looks like. What we're doing is we're utilizing Article 5 of the United States Constitution. The second clause of Article 5 gives states the power to get together to call for a convention of states for proposing amendments. It was specifically put in there by the founders in 1787 with the idea of restraining federal tyranny. It takes two-thirds of states to call that convention. Today, that means 34 states have to make an application. Those applications have to be virtually identical. In other words, use the same language, calling for a convention for the same purposes. And once 34 states call using a, a very similar or exactly the same application, the states get together in convention. Each state sends their delegations. Those delegations are made up of people called commissioners. The commissioners come with particular authority granted by the states called commissions. Each state chooses its commissioners however it deems appropriate in true federalist fashion. Each state will send as many commissioners as it desires, and those commissioners will all have to get together and come to uh, agreement on any given issue because each state gets to cast only one vote. It's one state, one vote by history and, and also by precedent. Uh, by court, by the courts have always said this, and, and states wouldn't participate if it wasn't one state, one vote. Then once something comes out of convention, generally by simple majority, so in the case of 50 states, that would be 26 states, once those amendments are proposed and come out of convention, they don't become part of the Constitution without ratification 
And ratification is a higher bar. It's not just 34 states or two-thirds of the states. It's three-quarters of the states or 38 states must ratify anything to become part of the Constitution. So where we're at right now, the Convention of States Project has an application out there, a resolution out there. That resolution is now passed in eight states. So we have 26 states to go. We will be pending in excess of 35 states in the coming legislative session in 2017. And so we have a pretty good shot of getting this done in, in the state legislatures in 2017 and actually calling the first ever in American history Convention of States to propose amendments to restrain the federal government. Wow. So uh, I don't want to put you on the spot here because it's hard to remember names, but do you have the eight states handy? Uh, I know you are putting me on the state on the spot here, but it's Florida, Georgia, Alaska, Alabama. Well, let me make a note here. How many have I done so far? Indiana, Oklahoma and Louisiana. Awesome. So I'm assuming Texas is going to be a big target for this coming legislative session. It is. We're working hard in Texas. And in fact, you know, Texas wasn't in session last year. They're, they, they're only biannual legislature. Mm. We like that. Uh, so we didn't have a chance to get it there last year. In Texas, by the way, we have our strongest follower base, as you might imagine, <laughs> in a state that fights for liberty more than any other state. And we have over 100,000 volunteers on the ground in Texas alone. No, that's that that's awesome. Now, one one thing I want to point out, and and we don't have enough time to get into, you know, some of the concerns from even people on the right on every facet of this so-called runaway convention suspicion. But I think a lot of it is rooted in the fact that people think that this is a novel idea because officially you've never had a successful implementation of a constitutional amendment via this second clause, via you know origination from the states instead of Congress, but. It's not new because you've had states embark on the process, and also even the amendments that were done that were were, uh, commenced via Congress, well, there's a second half, it goes to the states, and they could hold conventions. So don't we have a, a certain precedent for what those conventions look like and certain precedents on the safeguards that ensure that the subject matter that is discussed at the convention has to be germane to the original application. So, for example, just to be clear for our listeners, you know, you'll have the left yelping about getting rid of the electoral college and you know constitutional amendment right. there. So, you know, you guys are working on limiting government term limits, things like that. And let's say you have California and and uh, you know Massachusetts and New York get together and their state legislatures, they want to submit an application to go to a convention to go and uh, abolish the Electoral College. That would not mesh. That would not go towards the kind of score to get the 34 you need to convene a convention. Is that correct? That's correct. That would It, it would lack what is called uh, the ability to aggregate in legal terms. In other words, the applications must be for the same purposes in order to aggregate towards the 34. The purposes of our application, it's what's called a subject matter application, has three areas. It has, first, anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. So, for example, imposing a balanced budget amendment and generally accepted accounting principles, things like that to restrain the federal government fiscally. The second area is anything that would limit the scope or jurisdiction or power of the federal government over our lives. And the third is anything that would impose term limits on the federal government to include the federal judiciary or uh, federal appointees and bureaucrats. So you, you got eight states that have already signed off on an application to go to a convention on those three subject matters, right? In, imposing fiscal restraint on the feds, uh, limiting the, the scope of the federal government, the scope and jurisdiction, and imposing term limits. So just to be clear, 
you know, a lot of people say, well, you get there. Well, the left could come out, somehow kick down the door and say, uh, you know, we want to get rid of the Second Amendment. But there's no way that would be germane. No, it wouldn't be germane. And, and folks have to remember a couple of things. There, there are a couple of really smart protections built in by the founders. First of all, any convention runs very much like a legislature. And what that means is, if anybody's ever watched the legislature work, if somebody enters into a debate, something that is not germane, somebody else simply raises their hand and makes point a point of order, of order and yeah. says, that's not germane to what we're discussing. So whatever you believe about what would happen in convention, remember there will be 33 states there with both houses controlled by Republicans. Somebody will raise their hand and say, it's not germane. And then it will be ruled not germane. And so that's just how they work. And so from a, just a straight-up procedural perspective, you can imagine anything different than that would be nothing but chaos, and nothing would get done. Sure, and, and then also the most important thing is it, it's not like immediately at the convention, whatever gets proposed, boom, the Constitution has changed. Then, like you said, you have the higher bar. you got to go back to the states. you got to get 38 states. So put another way, if somehow, even if the left ever succeeded in either mimicking our process or somehow – you know, using some sort of thing maybe to raise taxes and say that that's fiscal restraint, you would that that in order for them to succeed, that would mean that in third you can't get at least one chamber in thirteen states to oppose it, dude. If we're at the point demographically that the Democrats could somehow gain control of thirty eight legislatures, it's hard enough for our side, but they're so you know as I noted to our audience, their coalition is so localized in urban areas they can't maintain control of legislatures even in some blue states so there's there's no way i mean if they ever had control they'd be doing it through the front door through legislation through the courts um you know as mark levin always says they engage in constitutional conventions every day uh you know redefining natural law and inalienable rights so um i i was never so worried about that but my thing was more the other way my gosh this is such a high bar i mean the notion that you're ever going to get 38 states to agree on something so foundational it's going to limit the federal control. What do you see as the roadmap to, to get from, you know, I guess, 8 to 34 within some sort of reasonable time frame, whether it's a year or two? Um, and, and what are the issues that you think, you know, obviously some hardcore things that only conservatives would like, you're never going to get 38 states to, to agree I to. agree with that. So what are some of the things that you think are doable, but at the same time are game changers and, and yeah, systemically and I think reformed? This, yeah. this is really important. Whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, you're not going to get 38 states for anything radically liberal. You're not going to get 38 states for anything radically conservative. And the founders intended that. They didn't intend that we change the Constitution based on shifts in temporary shifts in societal views. They wanted it to be fundamental things only, which means it takes broad-based public support, which is actually how we built this project. In other words, over 72 and sometimes as high as 80 percent of Americans literally say that we need a balanced budget amendment. And that's polled that way for 30 years, by the way. And the federal government will never impose a balanced budget amendment on itself. It's not in the best interest of members of Congress to do that to themselves, limit their power and their authority to tax and spend us. They're not going to do it. The American people want it. And it, that's not by party. It's bipartisan. And folks just want it. We know we have to balance our checkbooks. The American people want the federal government to balance their checkbook. And so I think you can get that done in 38 states. 
The same is true for the scope and power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Somewhere, it depends on the average poll, the poll you take on any given day, but somewhere between 65 and the high 70s percentage of Americans say the federal government is too big and does too much. Now, we might want to debate exactly what they should and shouldn't do, and why are they too big, what parts are too big, but fundamentally, Americans think the federal government should get out of their business. And so we ought to be able to get some limitations on the scope and the jurisdiction and the power of the federal government. Remember, this is not about policy. This is about who decides. Where does the power reside? And then the final one, term limits, again, polled for 30 years plus, maybe 40 years now. People think term limits should be imposed on their members of Congress. We actually did it in 23 states. The Supreme Court told us we're not allowed to. And so the people want it. The people have always wanted it. Congress will never impose it. In fact, this week, Mitch McConnell said no to term limits. And so they're not going to do it. The only way we can do it is the people do. So I think those three things easily come out of convention and probably get across the finish line in ratification. No, for sure. And, and that's the thing. A lot of this on the surface doesn't sound so so sexy, so to speak, amazing. But in reality, this is how we get our system of government back to a more fa- favorable playing field in which conservatives could then fight in the proper sandbox to, to do what we want. So like what you're saying is, look, we know we're not going to get 38 states to commit to a, a life amendment, a marriage amendment, you know, defining marriage in the Constitution, defining life at, you know, from conception. But what you can do is weaken the scope of the federal government, strengthen the states. Uh, you know, one of the things I, you know I'm very passionate about is judicial reform. You know, again, you 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 propose it as something that's that's uh, kind of neutral. We're not pushing conservative or pu- pushing liberal outcomes. We're just saying that politics needs needs to be decided by state legislatures, not the federal judiciary. So yeah, and I think this is really important. You and I both reside in very liberal states. <laughs> Right, and so we have to deal with those liberal policies in these liberal states. And even knowing that, living here in California, the far, far left coast, the lost continent, as I call it, I want California's legislature to have the power to make the decisions itself. And in fact, California is a donor state. We only get back 94 cents on every dollar that we give to Washington, D.C. So why we should lose 6% of our budget, I would say bring it back here and let the liberals waste it. That's what they'll do. They'll continue to destroy California. But I believe fundamentally in federalism. They should have the power to do that. The federal government today dictates on average 65 to 70 percent of the budget of every single state. That's just outrageous. It's not how the founders intended it. And it's anti-Republican, small r Republican. People want to control their own lives. People trust government closest to them more. That's how they should. And that's how the founders designed it. And that's all we're trying to get back to. No, and, and that's the thing. I've I've come to realize I, when I started off when I was young and naive I thought we can get in there and we could do, you know cut welfare and reform this and that and what I've come to realize is even if you had a normal Republican Party which we do not but if you had a party that was committed inexorably to our views you would it's like digging a trench with a spoon I mean you're you're done after the first issue I think about welfare reform I mean we've been talking about it for 20 years they expended all their political capital and they reformed one out of 77 means tested programs you need to do this carte blanche you need to systemically say look we're not going to be able to cut on a federal level but if we could devolve it back so through some sort of convention of the states we get um, some sort of limited jurisdiction of the government defining the um the Commerce Clause. What is the scope of the federal government? 
um, that or, or or like you said, balanced budget. That way you cut the snake off from the head. You don't have to litigate issue by issue. It's like taking back Gaza block by block. I mean, you're you're, you're done after two blocks. I mean, the, the the inveterate special interests that are there, they they yep. have a lock. And I think we keep banging our head against the wall. And then you know, picture the fact that there's a narrow Senate Republican majority. Um, Lamar Alexander is already talking about not even repealing Obamacare. Lindsey Graham's talking about blocking Trump on even the good things he does. I mean, we, we're never going to get enough people there. Um, what, one, one thing I'm curious what, what you think about this and your experience in California. You know, I live, as you know, also in a blue state. I live in Baltimore County, Maryland, and it's, it's a pretty blue area. The city, the county council is five to two Democrat. But what's funny is we had an issue of, of, about c- concerning HUD's gerrymander come up and Section 8, and the people didn't want it. The people didn't want it. it it's a majority Democrat area. So even though it was 5 to 2 Dem, they, they could not get that through. They, they had to, except for you know one councilman, they, they had to listen to the people. But on a federal level, I said to myself, when you have equivalent fights, because I'm in, you know, involved in them, Mark, all the time, we can't even get Republicans on the right side of it because there's no accountability. Oh, I agree with you. And and frankly, they actually don't care what we think in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, literally, I, I say D.C. stands for doesn't care because they don't care what we think. And they do different things in D.C. than they say at home. And additionally, you have these massive bureaucracies standing against us, like HUD, right? HUD doesn't care what people actually think. None of the bureaucracies care what you and I think or your neighbors think. But the city council actually does. And frankly, in most places, maybe not quite as much, but the state government even does. You can actually go down and yell at your state legislature if you want. It's pretty easy to testify. Right, and you cannot. Look, go try and get an appointment with your congressman. It's not easy. Try and get an appointment with your senator. It's impossible. But go to your city council. You can meet with your city councilman. You probably run into him at the local grocery store. And so the key is not what should we do. This is really important. The what should we do argument has a fundamental underlying false premise, and that is the decision will be made in D.C. And when we buy that underlying premise, when we buy their definition of the alternatives, we lose. The real question that we should always ask, and and this is the fundamental question being asked by the Convention of States Project, is not what should we do, it's who decides. And, and I know you and I agree on this, Daniel. I agree on this in regard to your reforms in the federal judiciary. The question is, where's the power? Who decides? If we drive that power back to the states, back to communities, back to the individuals, one, I believe we invariably get better decisions, but number two is those making the decisions suffer the consequences of poor decisions instead of federalizing all this crazy stuff. No, and, and that's the thing. It will make state lit legislative elections more important. Right now, so many people don't pay attention because who cares? They have such a small sandbox to work with. But if they literally controlled, as Madison and Federalist 33 intended, all issues of internal order, you know, except for – it's funny. I mean he basically said – he literally said that during a time of war, that's when the federal government would be important. During a time of peace, you would barely see them. And, and, and in that case, oh my gosh, my state legislature really matters. That those will be contentious elections. It will all be contingent on who gets elected. People will be engaged, and they won't be able to do stupid things. Even in you know semi-blue states, um, in red states, we could do a lot of good stuff. There's a lot more red states, a lot more red districts, a lot more um, red state legislatures. And and look, maybe you'll have some self-sorting at some point where 
um, if there's a dramatic difference between the states, we're still united under the same flag, the same military, but you know, you will have different uh, views of healthcare. You know, what what insurance companies could do in each state. If you want to, uh, you know, force insurance companies to be insolvent in California, own it. <laughs> just uh, don't don't come for, to us for a bailout. I just have, you know, we're running out of time. This is a big question I was wondering. I get from a lot of people. There's no intellectual honesty on the on the Democrat side. We're seeing that. So, you know, what you're saying is if you're intellectually honest, you should be able to, you know, everyone should agree if you're in a state legislature, even if you're a Dem, you should want more power developed to the states. How much cooperation have you gotten with Democrats and, and have Democrat members of legislatures voted in these eight states for uh, the application? You know, I don't want to overstate it because I'll tell you honestly, it's party line loyalty mostly, <laughs> but there are notable exceptions. Currently in Illinois, we have 11 Democratic co-sponsors. Uh, we'll see if that holds. In Ohio, our primary sponsor, we have two primary sponsors, a Republican and a Democrat. And I actually think that this election moves in our favor with Democrats. And what I mean by that is this. Right now, if you are a democratically controlled state, you are at the peak fear point about the federal <laughs> government. You have a President Donald Trump coming in. You have a Republican Congress. You're going to get a Supreme Court with a conservative, a solid conservative majority, and maybe an increasing majority. You, If you are a Democrat in a Democrat-controlled state, this is the time when you ought to be most scared of the exercise of federal power. So I think we're wow. we're moving in the right direction on the narrative with the Democrats. No, for sure. That, that That's a good point. It's a win-win. I mean, we we are not giving up anything by saying we're going to fight this at a state level. The blue states, as you know, they're as aggressive as anything. They do what they want. I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm very happy to say that if if we really had true federalism, I'd move out of Maryland. I mean, who needs this? I know we've lost it, but the the problem is even in the red states where people agree with us, we can't enact anything good. And aside from national security and immigration, you know. Even without the concerns about Trump on some fiscal issues, even if he, you know, he was a total fiscal conservative, there's a limit to what we could do. Maybe one or two reforms here or there. This is how we do a carte blanche. Um, let me ask you one more question here. Do you see any other benefits to this process? Are there are there any middle ground success points? You know, because this is kind of a lot of people viewers. Oh man, 34 states, and then you got to get 38. We spend so much time. Is there anything throughout the process itself that we benefit from this project? Yeah, I mean, and this is going to be, this, this might sound like a big claim, but I think the process is more important than the result. <laughs> and this is why I say that. Look, remember that I was one of the co-founders of the Tea Party movement in the early days. I'm really proud of what the Tea Party movement did, not of myself, because the movement was, you know, it literally was self-forming and self-directing and and what we did is we changed the political narrative in the country, especially on the right. We're, we're talking about things today we would never be talking about if it were not for the Tea Party. We accomplished the turn of Congress in 2010, I would argue by extension the Senate in 14. Really extraordinary things. Here was the downside of the Tea Party movement for me, and I, and I still consider myself a Tea Partier, by the way, but the downside was we had no plan. Right? There was no structure. So the upside and the downside, you know, two sides of the same coin. Now what we've got is a plan. And now what we're doing is we are teaching activists all over the country how to have a positive effect on the system at the local and state level. 
they're actually learning this. Citizen lobbyists are learning how to affect the legislative process, how to communicate with their legislators, how to get a resolution passed, which equals the same as getting a piece of legislation passed in their own states. We are building an incredible network of citizen activists, self-governing citizen activists in all 50 states. Today, for the first time in American history, that's never been done in any project I'm aware of, we now have representatives of the Convention of States project in 100% of all state legislative districts in the country. So that citizen army that believes in self-governance, that believes in local control, and that is trained and equipped to push those things in their state legislatures is something that I think is the most important outgrowth of the Convention of States project. So you're saying this is not just the home run scenario, what, you know, what you're ultimately striving for, but... As the state legislatures meet in January, you now have a cadre of activists that can work on things like religious liberty and you know taxes and obviously fighting back against refugee resettlement, although hopefully it will be easier now with, with Trump there. Um, well, a final thing, I know we're really running out of time here. Most of our audience, we have the most educated audience around, really great activists, so the, most of them don't even need to be convinced. They want to know, what do I do? Everyone asks, what could I get involved in? With, with the legislature's meeting in January, how do we take that number from 8 to 34 in one or two years? What, what could people do? Here's what they can do. First of all, you and I can talk about it all we want, but it's actually not up to us. It actually is up to your listeners because it actually is going to take millions of us. And frankly, 2 million isn't enough. It probably takes at least 10 million active folks. And the way that they can do it is they can go to conventionofstates.com. They can get educated first, but then they can sign up to be what we call a district captain. Step up in your district and be a leader. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of training. All we need to do is make sure you're ready to to sort of activate your brigade in your local district to call their legislator when the time comes to email their legislator. All the training and all the tools are there. So I would challenge your listeners, stop thinking about it. Stop just talking about it. Go to conventionofstates.com, sign up, become a district captain, and really get engaged as a warrior in the fight. Well, thanks so much, Mark. This has been really enlightening. Go to conventionofstates.com. Look at the progress. I'm telling you, folks, I was really very impressed. I didn't even realize how far along the project was. We need it now more than ever, yet we have the opportunity to pursue it now more than ever. Thanks again, Mark. I really hope to double back with you when you know we see more progress throughout the Absolutely. We'll the stay in touch. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate your time. All righty. Have a good one. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Mark Meckler. He is the founder, co-founder of the Convention of the States Project. And this is where it is. I could tell you I'm, I'm elated with the pick of Jeff Sessions as attorney general, Mike Pompeo, CIA director. A lot of my personal friends that I've been in the trenches with are going to be in government. Now, it's, it's pretty exciting. I think there are some good things we can do, like I said, on the national security immigration front. But aside from that, I mean, I'm just we are not limiting government. That is not I mean, and it's not just to the problem. It doesn't just speak to the problems of Trump and, and the rhino Senate. It's just systemically. We keep beating our heads against the wall. We need a permanent victory. I think this is great. Like Mark said, even beyond the convention of the states itself, what he's doing is creating a base that could make state legislatures great again, that we could fight a lot of these issues, grab back the power, even if we don't succeed in convening a convention of states or even ratifying an amendment, but at least we'll have a stronger base to fight back in the states. So get involved in that. Also sign up 
for CRTV, Conservative Review. And please do me a favor. Go to patriotmobile.com. Sign up for your mobile device. Except your money will not be going towards funding Planned Parenthood and left-wing causes. 5% of your money will go towards the conservative organization of your choice. Issue promo code DANIEL to waive the activation fee. And I'm telling you, I'm happy with the service, competitive rates. This is what we need to do. Fight back in the business world, in the states, federal level. We're going to do everything we can. Stay tuned you know, for next week, our, our, our Thanksgiving content. And we're going to be up on all the latest. Thanks for listening and God bless.